And now an ad from this week's sponsor, Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. media and you're listening to fresh off the bench all right hello and welcome to fresh off the bench with sky flanagan and marcus dinsmore today we're going to be talking about some nfl news to start uh in about you know half an hour we're going to talk about some of our favorite breakout players for this season and then after that we're going to be joined by a special guest star izzy sai from phenom media who uh, will be joining us to talk about an ACC football conference preview. Um, our guest star of the week is Pink Floyd. Um, and I say we just get started. Yeah, fashionably 40 minutes late. <laughs> no, uh, also apologies for that. We were having some technological difficulties. It happens. Um, I, <laughs> I don't know what to say beyond that. Um, <laughs> is what it is. Yeah, so we'll jump right into it. Um, yeah. The Jacksonville Jaguars signed Tim Tebow to a one-year deal to play tight end. How do you see this working out for both Tebow and the Jags? It's it's a very hard move to you know quantify because you know Tebow's been out of football for the longest time. He's been playing minor league baseball, um, and you know I don't watch minor league baseball, uh, but I don't know if he still has the athleticism to go out and play NFL tight end. He looks like it though. He does, yeah. He's big. Like he, he was kind of scrawny. Not like scrawny, but he was skinny when he first came into the league. Mm-hmm. But right now he just looks jacked. Like he looks shredded and he looks like he just has a ton of muscle. And he's tall, so that'll help him too at tight end. Yeah, that's very true. But, you know, he's never had to, to actually go out there and block someone on the football field. And he's, he's a good running QB. Um, but I don't know. I, he's been out of NFL, the NFL for so long. Yeah. And, like, I know he's looking jacked on a minor league baseball team, but, you know, the athleticism required for baseball is is not the same as the athleticism required for football. Yeah. Baseball's more of a skill game. Exactly. So, I mean, they also have tight ends on that roster already who can go out there and play at that position. And I don't really understand the Tebow thing um, move-wise – because I don't know what he necessarily adds to the team that they didn't already have. Yeah, I think it was more of his Urban Meyer connections and his connections to Florida, like the state as a whole, that kind of brought him in. I don't think it's necessarily as much to do with his actual athleticism yeah. or his ability to play tight end. I think he's just 
Jacksonville needs to sell tickets. Jacksonville hasn't been able to sell tickets for years, so I think that's what they're trying to do ultimately with this. Yeah, sell tickets and sell jerseys, and that's exactly what Tim Tebow is going to do. Exactly. Okay. Um, but moving on, uh, Tom Bahali recently retired. He signed a one-day contract with the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, and he is now officially retired. What are your thoughts on that as a Chiefs fan? Um, it's definitely sad. He was a big P- big part of that Bob Sutton defense that was really, really good when our offense was really, really bad. Um, of course, Sutton left, uh, Holly left, Derek Johnson left, like all these guys up and left. But uh, yeah, Tom Holly resigned with the Chiefs. I'm glad he resigned with the Chiefs. I know he liked playing in Atlanta a lot, but I'm glad he came back to the Chiefs. I don't, I don't know much more to say about it because it doesn't really affect the Chiefs, but... Exactly. Yeah, it's not necessarily prime news, but, you know... Yeah, he, he hasn't been, like... He hasn't been at the top of his game for a couple of years. Certainly. So I'm certainly. glad he's not, like, one of those players that just runs into the ground until they can anymore. Yeah, for sure. Um, moving on, uh, the Colts signed Eric Fisher to a $9.4 million contract, uh, which is massive... He's coming off an injury, but they definitely needed someone to start at left back. Yeah, after losing Casanzo, they needed somebody, and I wasn't too sad to see him part with the Chiefs. He was kind of, I feel like, a wasted number one overall pick for us. He was rarely on the field, and even when he was, he there are multiple really, really important high-profile games that he lost us. Um, like... In in the playoffs, he lost us. Was it the Steelers that he blew it? It might have been the Steelers. Yeah. Um, go ahead, go ahead. But, like, even if he if he can stay on the field, he'll be good for the Colts. But he's never been able to consistently stay on the field. Yeah, certainly. Um, Eric Fisher is definitely better than who they had starting there already. Sam Tevy, who used to be a charger player. Yeah. Um, and especially putting him next to a guard like Quentin Nelson, I think that'll help him out a lot. And I think that's that's still at the top tier off of the line. Yeah, and I mean, just having like Quentin Nelson on that left side means you can put virtually anybody that's like replacement level at that tackle position, and you're you won't have to worry about Wentz's blind side. Because I've seen multiple times, like, Costanzo would get beat, and Nelson ends up picking up two guys. Because Nelson has this ability where, while he's blocking, he can also survey around the field and kind of pick up on things. So, I think Eric Fisher's definitely above replacement level, and I think he could be really important to a Colts team that's looking to to make a run. Yeah, no, I can totally agree with that. I think Eric Fisher's a massive signing, and I think, you know, just bumps up their floor. And I think it brings them to a point where that whole roster is at a status of being a playoff team. Yeah. I wouldn't put them in like, you know, with, with the Chiefs, Browns, or Bills yet in the AFC, but I put them like right under. Yeah. Like, and they're certainly making the AFC South more competitive because as, as we were talking last week, it seemed like, you know, the Tennessee Titans were going to run away with it. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I like the Colts over the Titans now, in my opinion. Exactly. Um, I think the Colts, they have the potential to be in that 
with those other three teams that I just mentioned, it just all depends on who's going to step up. Like, is Paris Campbell going to step up? Is T.Y. Hilton going to show he's not too old to play anymore? It's going to take a Michael lot Pittman. of – What's up? Michael Pittman. Yeah, yeah, Pittman too. Like, they're going to need a couple of those guys to step up. But if they do step up and if they do break out, then I could easily see them being, you know, the third or fourth best team in the AFC. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so next, uh, DK Metcalf ran a 10.36 100-meter dash, ranking ninth out of 15. He was ninth out of ninth in his heat. What did you think about that when you watched it? Well, these these are guys who are training for the Olympics, you know, all the time. And, you know, I don't think anyone expected DK Metcalf to go out there and, you know, make the team, the Olympic team, um, for the 100-meter dash. I think that's a little ridiculous to say, but he certainly performed well for his size. I don't think he ran the best time that a NFL player would go out there and run. Uh, it, it was certainly impressive um, just based on, you know, he's 6'2", 240 pounds, and he was by far the largest guy there. Yeah, like when you watched it on the tape, it looked like a grown man running with children. Exactly. Like he was he was probably the width of like two of them put next to each other. It was It was insane. And yeah, I agree. He definitely, there are NFL players that would run faster, that would run a better time than him. Tyreek Hill is a Trek legend where he's from, and I'm sure Raheem Mostert would run a pretty good time as well. But he he didn't do bad, and it's not it's not like that I have a problem with him running it or that I just don't like DK because I, I like DK a lot. I've liked him since he came out of college. I we drafted Hardman over him, and I kicked myself for it, even though Hardman's turned out to be pretty decent. But uh, I I just found a problem with, like, the coverage of it. Like, if you walked into ESPN that day or Bleacher Report or anywhere, it was blown up everywhere. DK Metcalf runs great at the Olympic qualifi- qualifiers. But, I mean, he was last in his heat, and he was bottom half of of the entire race. But I mean, he he did well for like you said, his size being that that big and that strong. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I completely agree. I think the the media just you know focused way too much on this for not really being too serious of a thing. I I don't think anyone legitimately expected him to make the the Olympic team. Um, but you know, kudos for him to like for going out and trying that. I mean, if I was a guy who was a sprinter running the 100 meter dash and i found out that my spot to try out for the olympic team was taken by <laughs> some crack pipe nfl player who you know is just there for media coverage i would be upset but um you know it is what it is yeah even dk said on like in the interview afterwards they interviewed the winner of the race and asked him questions about dk like yeah. I think DK for the guys that were actually there was kind of a distraction as entertainment to us is kind of what it felt like especially mm-hmm. like when they asked the guy who won it he kind of like glanced over at DK and then gave his answer about how he was happy he was here and and stuff like that but you could obviously yeah. see he wasn't happy at all exactly exactly and it was it was really just you know grabbed for attention by like the the committee or whoever decided to yeah, and I'm sure the Seahawks had a play in that because they were tweeting about oh, it too. For sure, for sure. Um, but yeah, 
it was just all over the media and it over it covered over some very important news um, where Chad Ochocinco <laughs> refused to box Adam Pacman Jones, which I'm sure everyone wanted to see. Uh, I thought it. I think it'd be a great fight. Both of them are have been in trouble for publicly fighting in the past. So, <laughs> <laughs> Ocho is one of the best characters football's ever seen. Like one of Absolutely. my favorite, one of my favorite sports memories at all. Didn't happen on a field. It was when Ocho Cinco playfully touched his male lawyer's ass, and then the judge sent him for, to jail for two days. <laughs> like seeing Ocho fight Pacman would have been hilarious. You know what? Just get a bunch of ex Bengals player in there. Get Avantes Burfics. You know, <laughs> isn't there like a thirteen-year age gap between them or something? I think Burfict is like thirty-one. Oh no, I meant Pac-Man and Ocho because I think Pac-Man yeah, is like yeah. thirty-seven or something. I think Ocho I was, is coming up on fifty. Wow, I was going to say forties because he was in college in for the the two thousands Oregon State team. Yeah, that would put him in the, his 40s at least. Yeah, probably mid-40s. But there's still like mm-hmm. a sizable age difference there. Oh, absolutely. And it's not like it's not like Floyd and Jake Paul, which is what they would be, what Ocho's going to be fighting on. It's not mm-hmm. like that age difference because Floyd's talent covers up for it. Yeah. But neither one of these guys are fighters, and they're working off like less than a month of preparation if they mm-hmm. did. So, I mean, it would be really just two old dudes like, Struggling just slugging it up. Yeah, exactly. Um, so probably wouldn't have been entertaining TV. Would have been entertaining based on the fact that it's, these are two guys that are just you know insane trash talkers on and off the field throughout their entire careers, um, and who have both gotten in trouble with the law. Kind of known for being like bad boys on and off the field, for lack of a better term. Did you see Ocho um, seeing uh, Dion the other day? No, I did not. He I saw Dion Sanders. I, mm-hmm. I don't know where they were, but they like ran into each other, and and uh, Dion was like, "Come on, line up, line up!" And Ocho was like, "No, no!" And like Dion was acting like he's gonna cover him, and then they they eventually hugged it out. But I thought it was That's pretty great. funny too. Dion's kind of another one of those personality guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so continuing on in our news, we got Juwan James, who is the starting right tackle for the Denver Broncos. Uh, he tore his Achilles, and he is out for the season. Uh, and then at, shortly after that, the NFL released a memo saying that if a player gets injured in their own, doing their own you know, exercises, the teams are not liable to pay their contract. In. What are your thoughts on all of this? On the Juwan James side, there's, as far as it affects the Broncos, one, like you just said, the NFL is gonna, isn't going to make them pay that contract. So you can go out and sign somebody else. But two, like, there is a large market still for offensive linemen. Like, there's a lot of people looking to trade. There's some on free agency, so they can figure that out. But I think the real news of the story is that memo because the NFL, the, the players want no in-person OTAs. They want a shortened training camp before the season. Like, the players want to do everything leading up from home by themselves with their own trainers. I think this is kind of the NFL's way of like saying like, you want to do that? Here's this. Because it's never yeah. before been a problem. Like there's been athletes who have been hurt at home, not on the field. I can't remember who it was 
what sport even <laughs> but somebody uh was doing the dishes and cut their hand on glass and cut like something in their hand to where they had to have major surgery mm-hmm. and they still got paid out and they were still fine right so i mean this is kind of unprecedented territory and i think it's just the nfl trying to get back at the players yeah, you, I could definitely see that because, you know, not having OTAs for a second season running, especially when, like, a lot of things are going back to normal, like, everyone's going back to schools. I can see how the NFL is upset at the players for not going back into um, OTAs and not wanting to do that. Uh, but simply, you know, punishing players for trying to better themselves, stay athletic, to go out and play for these teams who are literally just profiting from them. Well, no, not, not profiting from them. Yeah, the NFL is profiting from the players, and the players are trying to be the best they possibly can for the to make profit off of these players, and they're punishing them for it. And I, I don't think that is, you know, fundamentally sad. Yeah, no, I think it's the it's Roger Goodell showing Roger Goodell again. Like there's yeah, there's only there's if you look at the major three sports in America: football, basketball, and baseball. When you look at basketball, Adam Silver is like really the only good GM, or the only good, sorry, the only good commissioner. Because <laughs> yeah. you look at even NCAA, you've got uh, Bob Emer, terrible. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, Rob Manfred, and the MLB horrible, and Roger Goodell is probably the worst one out of all of them. I mean, yeah, he just there's... continually finds ways to like stab at the players' union every single year. Yeah, for sure. And there was there was issues with whoever the 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 head, the CEO of like the NHL is the past couple of days because of something that happened with the Rangers. But you know, there's a reason Roger Goodell gets booed every draft day. Yeah. Exactly. And why Adam Silver doesn't. For sure. Like people love Adam Silver. And like Goodell has shown a pattern of doing this between punishing guys that he just doesn't like really hard, like, say, Josh Gordon. There's no mm-hmm. reason why Josh Gordon should be kicked out of the league for any any of the things. Like, it's all been drug things, but instead of suspending him, suspending him, suspending him, they just kicked him out of the league a bunch of times and, like, reinstated him. And mm-hmm. then you look at, like, the CBA last year. The NFL was using, like, guerrilla marketing tactics to, like, get the public on their side. Yeah. Like, Goodell has shown over and over again that he's the villain of this, and – he helped out the Broncos, but he's going to cost Juwan James $20 million. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's just not really what you want to do to a player who's, you know, trying to improve their performance. And thus, you know, it's it just really feels like, you know, that he's punishing the player for not wanting to show up to OTAs. And it's that's not okay. Yeah, and I mean, he's doing this while we're staring down a potential lockout next year. Mm-hmm. Like, how much worse is he going to make it before that lockout happens? At least wait till after to pull some of this. Like, like wait till the players are already signed back before you start pissing them all off. Because then they're just like, we're going to get a strike, and he's going to lose a ton of money. And there's mm-hmm. there's no way to do what the NBA did if a strike happens, because strikes usually happen right before the season. So right. there's not going to be a way to push back the NFL season mm-hmm. by weeks. So then you've got the shortened season. He's going to lose money. Like, he needs to think long-term about it before he opens his mouth about anything. Certainly. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, there's not really much more to say about this whole Juwan James and, you know, not paying players uh, for injuries that happen while they're working out. Um, it's just, frankly, it's, it's wrong. I mean, yeah. there's not much more you can say about that. Hopefully, Juwan James is able to, like, sue or something to get his money because oh. he needs to set that precedent of, like, the NFL can't do this anymore. Absolutely. Um, but next up, another big piece of offensive lineman news. Frank Ragnow is now the highest paid center in the league with a four-year, $70 million contract with $42 million guaranteed. What are your thoughts on this for the Lions? I think the Lions are building a real offensive line now, and I think extending him back is the start of it. Like, they draft school, they get a, a quarterback who's – Capable, I'd say Goff is capable. Mm-hmm. Um, they still have DeAndre Swift back there, so if, I'm trying to think about how to word it. Like that's going to be. I feel like the line is going to be the most important thing. That's what ruined um, Matthew Stafford's career. Megatron got upset while he was there about nobody being able to block. Like that's kind of what's stopped even like good Lions defenses from being able to carry the team has been the offensive line. So I think extending Ragnar is huge for them. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot to be said about, you know, building continuity through the offensive line. Yeah. They've got Taylor Decker on one side and Penny Sewell on the other. They've got two young guards in uh, Jonah Jackson and um, I can remember uh, Logan Stenberg. Uh, and then they've got Frank Ragnar just holding down the Ford center position. And I think, that offensive line has the potential to be a top 10 offensive button in the league. I know PFF ranked them as like a top 13 offensive line last season. Um, and just, you know, providing that protection for a guy like Jared Goff, who is constantly shown he struggles when under pressure as a quarterback. Uh, I think that's massive. For yeah. And I mean, they're bringing in a super young line that's going to grow together and that's going to help them because offensive line more than maybe other than like a quarterback receiver is the most important connection on the football field. You have to really know who you're standing by because when you're picking up, you have to be able to trust that the person next to you is going to pick him up so you don't have to drop in a double. Yeah. That's how I see it. (laughs) Yeah. Offensive line play requires, you know, trusting everyone around you, knowing the block scheme, knowing everyone's on the same page. And that's, it's big to have a young offensive line coach. Yeah, especially if they move into like like a more run-heavy game with Swift. That'd be really interesting to see, and they're going to need an offensive line that's on the same page if they're going to pull that off. Absolutely. All right, so moving on to <laughs> our – yeah. <laughs> I didn't know who was uh, going to introduce that topic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So moving on to our next topic, the Raiders go and sign Casey Hayward, who has worked with their new defensive coordinator before, Gus Bradley, uh, over the past couple of years with the Chargers. Um, what are your thoughts on this sign? I don't think it really impacts the Raiders that much. I think it's kind of counterintuitive to what they're trying to do and build a younger team. Um, yeah, I don't really see it having much effect. The Raiders' defense is still going to get trampled by all three other teams in the league. If the Broncos start Teddy Bridgewater, 
if not, if it's Drew Locke, then I mean, I'm sure they'll have their best game all season against Drew Locke. But, oh. but I mean, I, I don't see it having a super big impact on the Raiders. Not as much mm-hmm. as like if Casey Hayward would have gone to a team that was like a piece away or something. I think he could fill in that. But Casey Hayward isn't like a, a Von Miller or a Khalil Mack or somebody that can carry a defense on, on their shoulders. Yeah, no, I certainly agree with uh, the assessment. He's not going to change their defense, but he's going to slot in directly as their cornerback one, which allows them to move Trayvon Mullen to a cornerback two spot. And you can see there are points where against weaker receiver competition, Trayvon Mullen went off, especially against the Patriots last season. Yeah. Having him as a cornerback two gives him an opportunity to play against weaker talent, thus allowing him to play better. Unless the Raiders pull off that five safety set. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, Raiders be the Raiders. Yeah. So next up, the Ravens signed Alejandro Villanueva to fill in the gap that they created when they traded Orlando Brown to the Chiefs. How big of an impact do you think Villanueva really has on that offensive line? and the players playing behind it. You know, Villanueva is just, he's getting a lot older. And this Ravens scheme is a scheme where you have to, as an offensive lineman, move around, do a lot of pulling, um, you know, a lot of moving with screens. And Villanueva had his worst season as of yet in 2020 for the Steelers. Yeah. Uh, And he's he's switching to like the side he's playing on. He's not going to be playing left tackle. That's where Ronnie Staley is. Um, He's moving over to right tackle. Which is an interesting transition there. Uh, there's he, he certainly adds, you know, baseline there being a, a talented veteran, um, but he's an older veteran to the point where he is definitely declining his play, and they might have been better off you know, drafting somebody to fill it. Exactly. I mean, I think Villanueva fills in like a temporary gap for them, but beyond this year, like they. There's no reason they should resign him beyond this year. Oh yeah, he signed a one-year deal, correct? Uh, yes, that is okay. true. I want to make sure we're talking about a lot of contracts. So I want to make sure I got that right. But um, yeah, yeah, I think beyond this year, it really has no impact on them. But I think they're just kind of hoping that they can get him here because I mean, with Bateman, you finally have another capable receiver besides Hollywood Brown, who's wish-washy at best. So if Bateman can turn out to what you think he's going to. I think they're going to try to test out Lamar's arm more. I think Villanueva definitely gives them maybe another like quarter of a second in the pocket. Possibly, yeah. I mean, so Stade was injured a lot of last year, and they had to move Orlando Brown over there. Yeah. I'm not sure who they had in as the replacement right tackle there, but you know, having Orlando Brown there as opposed to Villanueva is a massive difference yeah. because Brown is at this point much better than Villanueva. Yeah, and he's 25, so exactly that definitely adds a whole new layer. But I don't think it's the worst. I think it's going to be he's going to be better than whoever was filling in. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's not great from that, but like I said, maybe like another quarter of a second, but not exactly nothing too big. So next, uh, the Buccaneers re-signed Blaine Gabbert. Do you think this has any effect on? On Trask, do you think it signals something for Trask's long-term future? So, yeah, when I was scouting Trask, there are a lot of holes in his game that have to do with you know his experience playing quarterback. Like he he's not picking up on blitzes, he's not taking 
you know, open check downs, uh, open uh, crossers through the middle when all the linebackers are blitzing. He struggles to read, you know, meshes and anything, you know, in between the hashes. Um, and I think a lot of that, you know, prevents him from being uh, uh, suited for the games, like for being dressed for the games and playing as the, the backup quarterback there. Because if Tom Brady goes down with an injury and Trask comes in, at this point, I have no confidence in saying, yeah. oh, Trask is our guy. Let's throw him out there. And I think Blaine Gabbert is going to come in. He's going to be that backup quarterback. And they're going to, you know, do what the, the Packers did with Jordan Love, which is, you know, not necessarily dress and play more as a practice squad guy who's still on the roster, um, but give him that experience, have him watching the film, just not necessarily having any chance of him being on the football field, which is certainly the best, or at least this season. I think the difference between the Packers and the Bucks in this situation is that Jordan Love showed much more potential in college and in his pre-draft workouts. And like, I, I think Jordan Love was far and away the better player between the two. I see. I saw it. Like my initial thought was, they're not convinced about Trask, like that he will be able to step up anytime soon. Like by soon, I mean like the next like couple few years. Mm-hmm. I think the drafting of of Trask was in my mind more. They weren't sure if Blaine Gabbert was going to resign, so they they figured they'd draft somebody. Um. But I mean, there were still better quarterbacks on the board at that point, I think. But Sam, yeah, that's completely. Sam Ellinger was still on the board at that point, right? Yeah, Sam Ellinger was on the board at that point. Callan Mond was on the board. Uh, Davis Mills was on the board. They took him right at the end of the second, which is right before the other two guys that I mentioned uh, were taken. Uh, Ian Book was still on the board, but that was also a reach by the Saints yeah. in round four. I think. You've got a couple guys there. Davis Mills, definitely. I think Trask is more uh, – shows more potential than Mills. But I think picking Trask over guys like Mond or uh, Ellinger is a mistake if I'm the Bucks, But I don't think the Bucks are too worried about it. Brady still says he has, like, a few more years in his tank. Mm-hmm. Even though I – if I had to place money on it today, I'd put only, like, a couple more. But – yeah, I don't think they're they're worried about Nintendo soon. I mean, we've got a decent quarterback class coming next year anyways, so I doubt they're they're scrambling too hard on Cal Trask. Yeah, I can I can certainly agree with that. I mean, it it's not really a wasted pick. They didn't have any holes. Um, but it I didn't like the pick. I didn't like Trask as a prospect. Um but yeah. you know, what are you gonna do? <laughs> All right, so next up, uh, the Dolphins decided to cut Bobby McCain, one of their starting safeties, and sign uh, Jason McCordy, not Devin McCordy, Jason <laughs> McCordy, to a contract. Uh, what are your thoughts there? You put it in the notes as McCordy, and I was like, Devin McCordy signed with the Dolphins? <laughs> How did I not hear yeah. that? Um, I think it's, it's a lateral move to me. I think the Dolphins would have been better at safety if they just kept Minka Fitzpatrick, and that was – that was a pretty dumb trade to me. Um, yeah, I, I see it as a lateral move. I don't know much about about McCain at all, so I can't really like, compare the two. But yeah, McCain was more of a he was kind of like a nickel safety for them. 
Um, and McCourty, Jason McCourty is more of an outside corner. I think he's really, he's really there for depth behind Xavier Howard and yeah. um, Byron Jones for the most part. And Noah Ibnogane, who they got last season in the draft. Say what you will about the Dolphins. They have a good secondary, like a pretty decent secondary, even without... Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think their safety is a little bit weak, but um, outside of that, certainly they have probably by far the most talented corner in that group. Yeah, I mean, I was saying it last year, like that Dolphins defense at the end of the year was the NFL's best-kept secret. Oh. Like Howard was going insane. Um even Byron Jones started to look a little bit like he did a couple years ago in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they were firing all cylinders towards the end of the year. Yeah. Oh, um, very talented defense, and I have high hopes for them going into next Can season. they carry Tua? <laughs> Can they carry Tua? The question we've all been waiting for. <laughs> um, I think, you know, that defense can definitely take them to a, a better record than the Patriots, probably second in the division. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's bold at this point to say. Um, moving on, the Lions decided to release Carrion Johnson and the Eagles claimed him. What does this add to the Eagles team? I think it adds another talented receiver. I mean, they just, got, they just got Devonta Smith. Hey, he's a running back. What? Carrion Johnson. My mind there. just completely blanked. I don't know why I thought Carrion was a wide receiver. Yeah, I know he's a running back. That was, I was thinking yeah, no about worries, like man. two segments ahead of what we're going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I like went to like my breakout players. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know how That's much it really great, adds to the Eagles besides like if you're going to start Jalen Hurts, maybe like it throws in like a – an option or an RPO threat or even play action more than it did uh, without him. But mm-hmm. it, it's not going to be like a game changer for the Eagles. The Eagles offense is still going to struggle. They still don't have a QB that they're completely confident in. And yeah, I think, I think the Eagles offense is still going to be the weakest part of their team next year. Yeah, I can agree with that. Carry on. He's a power back. He's oft injured, but he's definitely a willing blocker. He was used a lot, like, end of the season as a pass blocker and not really a run blocker, but he's definitely – he's got some pass blocking potential. He could add some help there for Jalen Hurts, but I think they're probably better off playing Miles Sanders or the Kenneth Gainwell who they drafted yeah, this year. Yeah, especially carry-ons kind of getting towards the end of that peak age. Exactly. Okay, next, uh, Chiefs signed safety Will Parks. Do you think this affects the Chiefs at all? Like, do you think it it elevates their defense? Yeah, okay. So, Will Parks is, you know, is, he's kind of in that fringe area where he's gone from underrated to overrated at several points in his career. But, you know, with the Honey Badger, with Juan Thornhill, and um, Daniel Sorensen, I don't think he's really going to get much playing time as a safety, mm-hmm. to be honest. I think he went from the Broncos – where I believe he was the third best safety on that team mm-hmm. to the Chiefs, where I believe he's going to be the fourth best safety on the team. Um, I think yeah. it'll be interesting if they can maybe move him to another position in the secondary because we need corner depth. So if you can try to figure out if Will Parks can can play any like any type of corner at all, 
that would be beneficial to the Chiefs because that corner room's thinning out and thinning out. And we had we had Tyran playing reps at corner last year. We had Juan Thornhill playing reps at corner last year. Sorensen's not quite fast enough, but he's more of just like a lurking guy. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely came there. Um so I don't I don't know if he adds really that much unless you want to move Honey Badger to Nickel. And uh, but I don't think that's the right move for them necessarily. Um, I don't know. I want to see uh, Tyrant you know, blitz next year like heavily because it seemed like <laughs> yeah, every huh. time he he crept down towards the line to blitz, he was sacking somebody or making a TFL. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, he adds a ton of potential as a blitzer. Not gonna lie. Yeah. But um, so let's stay in the AFC here for kind of our last piece of news. Um, you know, had moment everyone's been waiting for. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has been in trade rumors recently, and he's been linked to teams, uh, the, the Raiders and the Broncos, both AFC West. Do you think he's going there to compete with uh, Patrick Mahomes' legacy? No, because I think either way, it doesn't really change Patrick Mahomes' legacy. Um, I don't think either one of those teams, even with Aaron Rodgers, consistently beats the Chiefs. In my opinion, I don't think they steal both games from the Chiefs, and if you're either one of those teams, the only way you're going to be able to compete with the Chiefs is to steal both games. Yeah, I, definitely. I don't see Rodgers. Rodgers is, I'd say, the second most talented QB in the league. He brings a lot, a lot of potential to any team for the next however many years he really feels like playing football. But uh, I, I don't see him. I think he elevates their win total. I think he might drop him into like a wild card, which I don't think either of those teams are necessarily wild cards with how they are right now. Um, so he, yeah, he could raise their win total, but all in all, I don't think he's going to raise them to be able to win the division. No, I, I doubt he wins the division, but you know, if Aaron Rodgers goes to either of these teams, the AFC West certainly becomes the most competitive division with the likes of the Chargers and the Chiefs in there already. And the Broncos' defense is solid. Um, the Raiders definitely have have some weapons uh, and, you know, certainly got some players that could step up on defense. I think if he's uh, complaining if, about the Packers not having enough pieces around him and he's leaving Devonta Smith, Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, MVS, all of those guys to go to – the Raiders or the Broncos? <laughs> like, yeah. It, it seems like a downgrade if I'm Aaron Rodgers. Like, you're going to have consistent success in the NFC with the Packers. I mean, you've made, mm-hmm. what, the last two out of four NFC championships or whatever? Or three out of four yeah. or something like that? And 18 and 19, I believe he was injured for part of the season. Yeah. Like, it, it seems like such a downgrade on both sides of the ball if I'm Aaron Rodgers. No, I, I totally see where you're coming from. Um, yeah, I don't know if Aaron Rodgers is actually going to leave the Packers. I, I think his time there is over based on the reports that I'm reading. Yeah. Um, but I don't think the Raiders or the Broncos are the right team to house Aaron Rodgers uh, as an you know an NFL analyst and I, as a as a Chargers fan, I really don't want him to go there. Yeah, I think it's a lot like when Peyton was in was at Denver. Like towards the end mm-hmm. of Peyton's run with Denver, when you looked around and you had Philip Rivers and Derek Carr, when Derek Carr was still playing at a high level, 
and uh, Peyton Manning and Alex Smith. Like that was an extremely talented quarterback for each one of them at that point. Absolutely. But I think I think if Rodgers comes, it becomes that again, especially if he goes to the Broncos because you have Mahomes, Herbert, Carr, and then Rodgers. I think that looks a lot like uh, when Manning came to the AFC West. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I certainly think that it, it makes the AFC West a, a very competitive division um, just based on like quarterback talent um, and how much Aaron Rodgers would have elevate either of those teams. Um, but like as of right now, the Chargers and the Chiefs are right up there at the top. The Chiefs definitely the favorite. Um, but Rodgers has the potential to throw throw a, a, a wrench into those works. And I think Rodgers has one or two years left on his deal. He might be looking at, you know, who has the easiest schedule. And if you look at the, the, the schedule rankings, schedule difficulty rankings, the AFC West is some of the easiest around. Yeah. I think last year it was kind of, if you looked at it like split first half and second half of the season, they had a much, the AFC West had a much more difficult second half of the season than first half. But I think all around the AFC West is just I mean it's not that it's not that tough this year. It's a lot easier than uh than than last year with having to play the NFC South. That was obviously a tough division to play, so Yeah, for sure. And we are back, joined by Ismail Sai, a phenom NFL expert to talk ACC football. How are you doing, Izzy? I'm good, I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. Magus, you want to jump right into it? All right, yeah. I think um, the best place to start in the ACC is obviously the clear favorite for everyone. The team who's going to win the ACC championship almost guaranteed at this point. If you place a bet on them, you're making no money right now. Uh, Clemson, what are your thoughts, Izzy? Yeah, that was a very accurate statement there, Magus. Um, Yeah, they're... Far and away, best team in the ACC, even though they lost Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne. You know, they still have a lot of talent on that roster, including their quarterback. And I'm going to try my best here, DJ Uagalele at QB. Yes, (laughs) at their quarterback spot. He played very well when uh, Trevor was out due to COVID-19 last season, including almost winning in South Bend against Notre Dame. I feel like that was probably his best game. Uh, he does get a lot of help in the receiver room with Justin Ross returning from injury. Um, that's obviously going to be huge for him because that's the number one target, presumably. And then also on defense, I really like their defensive line. You got Brian Brees, you got Miles Murphy. I mean, Clemson, you know, for the past few years, they've been just churning, churning like elite defensive linemen to the NFL and, you know, elite talent all across the board. And the secondary as well, I do like Andrew Booth a lot, junior corner. I think he's going to do well. And then return of Nolan Turner in the back end is going to help a lot. Uh, I do think they go undefeated, and they do play Georgia week one, and I think they squeak that one out. And I think they're going to go back to the college football playoff and compete for a national championship once again. You know, I don't know much about college football outside of the Big 12. I'm not, I'm not a huge college football guy. But uh, I do know DJ Unigwele is – He's <laughs> an elite talent. I, I watched him in QB1. Sorry, I just want to say that name as many times as possible before we move on. <laughs> I watched him uh, on the on the TV show QB1. He was in the season two of it. And he was highly touted at that point. And coming in, he was the number one um, quarterback in his class. So 
I think I think DJ Uniguele could end up being uh, a top pick when his draft date comes. Uh, yeah, no, that's a certainly some solid analytics there. Uh, no matter how poorly you pronounce the name, I'm trying um, to add to this conversation, but I know nothing about the ACC. <laughs> he did a good job, Sky. It's okay. <laughs> Shout out to you, Sky. Um, so, yeah, all right. DJ is he's played two games in college football so far, and he played well in those. Um, but he's losing a lot of the targets he would look to in that game. He's losing Travis Etienne. And he's losing his starting left tackle in Jackson Carmen, which kind of like, you know, just tells me that there's going to be growing pains from this, this offense, even with Justin Ross coming back, especially with him coming back injury and facing, you know, a really, really talented SEC team like Georgia early in the season. I think that they, I think that they go undefeated outside of that game because they have an incredibly talented roster. But I think Georgia squeaks out the win there just based on experience across the board. Right, right. I can definitely see that, but I feel like I feel like Clemson's just, you know, that program is just too good. You know, Davo's going to have them ready to play no matter what. And like you said, talented roster, um, you know, and then I feel like the defense is going to be able to win them a lot of games this season just because of those two guys that they have on the, on the line to anchor them. Oh, yeah. Uh, Miles Murphy and Brian Brees are elite talents who will definitely be first-round picks. Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, so um, you want to get to the next team here? Yeah, I think we, we both agreed one of our favorite teams, you know, in the ACC is Boston College. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, so they've got a, a very talented wide receiver room, returning uh, Zay Flowers, Kobe White, and C.J. Lewis. And Phil um, Jerkovic, who came in from, I believe, Notre Dame a couple of years ago, uh, he's a solid quarterback, and he's definitely going to do – do well with um, the weapons he has there. And I think that's that's definitely an offense watch going forward in the ACC. Uh, it, they certainly have potential. Um, they have a tougher schedule. I think they face uh, Florida State. They face uh, um, Notre Dame again. They face Clemson. And I think they probably drop either two or three of those games. Uh, but they're definitely a clear, you know, second in the, uh, the Atlantic division. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you just said. I love their wide receiver room. I love Zay Flowers. I think he's going to be amazing this year for Djurkovic in the passing game. Um, and, yeah, they do have they do have Clemson this year. I don't think they, they – I don't think they're going to beat Clemson. I think they go 92-8-3. I think they go in that range. You know, I think they can win eat the rest of their games um, just because they have a lot of experience as well, especially on offense. So I really, I really like this Boston College team. So I, I, I think they can make some noise in the ACC. I don't know if they'll beat Clemson, but they'll definitely be an elite team for sure. Yeah, and their offensive line is talent too. Uh, a name that you might recognize, Tyler Rabel, who's actually the son of Tennessee Titans head coach Mike Rabel, I believe is their starting right tackle. Yeah, he, he, was, he was actually pretty good last year from what I've heard. Yeah, that's, that's what I saw on the tape. Uh, I think he's definitely a talented guy. Who could end up getting drafted? Um, not sure as of this point. He probably needs to have a big uh, year next year if he wants to come out in the 2022 draft. Yeah, for sure. Uh, continuing in the Atlantic Division, here we got the Florida State Seminoles, who used to be like a really, really big team in the ACC back when they had talent like James Winston, um, but they've kind of fallen off in the past few years. 
And but they've added they've added some solid players through the transfer portal, uh, including Mackenzie Milton from UCF, uh, Andrew Parchment from Kansas, uh, Brandon Moore and Kier Thomas. Uh, and I certainly think that they've got added enough immediate talent from the transfer portal that they could compete at least third in this this Atlantic Division. I have them at seven and five, losing to. Notre Dame, UNC, Clemson, and either Miami or Florida. Uh, yeah, uh, Seminoles lost a lot from last year, but like you said, transfer portal was huge for them. Uh, I like their wide receiver that they got, Andrew Parchment. I think he's going to be great for Mackenzie Milton, who's coming back from his gruesome knee injury, so that's a feel-good story there for everybody listening. Um, yeah. I think it's going to be tough for them, though, to build team chemistry. They have a tough, tough schedule. They have Notre Dame. They have North Carolina, Clemson, and Boston College. Uh, to be honest, I could see them dropping all four of those games. And they also have Miami, which, you know, I could see them winning just because it's a rivalry game. But even then, I could still see Florida State losing. Um, I have them about 6-6, six and 5-7. Six, and seven. I'm low on Florida State, to be very honest with you. Uh, they've been underwhelming for the past few seasons. And then, you know, they haven't really rewarded my faith in them like last year I was I was I thought they would you know get back on track but obviously that didn't happen so I'm low on Florida State to start off here I do know a significant amount about Andrew Parchment and I think no matter what team he was going to he was going to help out immensely every single year he showed more and more and more talent at Kansas and he was a part of really great wide receiver rooms at Kansas Kansas just had line issues and quarterback shuffles they haven't really had a decent quarterback other than Carter Stanley for the past decade but um, Andrew Parchment no matter who the quarterback does was always able to stay consistently good right and that's, that, that's a very accurate like statement Jalen Daniels <laughs> a, yeah a true um, freshman 17 years old starting for you Oh, over yeah. proven guys. Sorry, I'm getting carried away, but like, <laughs> that's why. That's probably why we had that mass exodus of transfers that included Parchment. Oh. Yeah, uh, no Parchment. All the episodes coming up, Sky. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we can talk all about Kansas City. <laughs> um, but Andrew Parchment is certainly talented. I remember watching the Coastal Carolina tape from last season, and he popped off of that tape. I mean, it was Coastal Carolina who did play well, but their secondary play wasn't necessarily great. But he definitely popped out that game. We also got beat by a team that wasn't even able to play in their own stadium due to a, a hurricane. So that was great for Kansas. No wonder he transferred. <laughs> As you can see, Sky loves his Jayhawks. I'm still living yeah. They were literally, what, a day or two before the game told they couldn't play on their own field and still beat us. <laughs> that's just that's unfortunate because we didn't have yeah. Carter Stanley yeah the greatest yeah. quarterback of all time if he was given four oh, years yeah. okay back to the all ACC right. <laughs> a lot of misfortune surrounded Kansas and you know surrounding Andrew Parchment but hopefully he can alleviate that at Florida State um, moving on I think next we have in the Atlantic Division uh, Louisville what are your thoughts there is it I'm actually I'm, I don't want to say that you know Louisville's gonna like you know be one of the best in the ACC, but I do feel like people are sleeping on them. Last year, well, speaking of misfortune with Kansas, um, Louisville had a lot of misfortune last year. They lost four games by seven points or less, and they also had a turnover margin of minus twelve, which is which didn't help at all. 
but I think they are due for a bounce back, however. You know, Malik Cunningham, their quarterback returns, and most of the offensive line, which is going to help a lot with the run game. And even though, you know, they had a lot of NFL departure, you know, they lost, you know, they lost Tutu Atwell, they lost Des Fitzpatrick, they lost Javion Hawkins. But I do think that they have a good wide receiver in Braden Smith. I do think he's very underrated, and I think he's going to step up this year. And I also like their tight end, Marshawn Ford. Um, he should be able to help in the passing game as well, get more looks, because, you know, the receiver room outside of Smith is, isn't that great. So... I think Louisville is going to have a good season this year, and the defense was much improved. They cut down their PPG from 33 the year before to 26 last season, so they're obviously still going to be improving. And C.J. Avery will boost the defense. And Louisville, I think they can be a bowl team. I have them seven and five, five and three in ACC play. Yeah, I'm very, I'm at a very similar level with Louisville. I have them at six and six, five and three in ACC play. Uh, but I'd like to point out that they added. Some incredible transfers as well. I think that's kind of something that happened throughout the ACC. He added Kendrick Duncan from uh, Georgia Southern, I believe, who who played really well as a safety for them. And they added Brian Hudson from Virginia Tech, who is a great center, um, who started there before they brought in Hoffman um, to, to play at center. And I think he could definitely add some day one talent on that offensive line. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, right, yeah. So next team here, yeah. Yeah, next team. Uh, I think we got uh, NC State. Um, you know, my personal opinion on NC State here is that while they they return a lot of production on their offense, um, they're losing a big player in you know, Liam McNeil. He was mm-hmm. their starting nose tackle, uh, and he was an incredible nose tackle. And they're replacing him with Corey Durden from Florida State, who, unlike McNeil is a very reckless he's labeled as high motor but he's high motor to the point where he's massively reckless and he's constantly found out of his gap not playing uh in position which is very bad especially when they're transitioning from Aline mcneil who was always in his gap always ready to you know make the play on the running back he was he was a, a willing blitzer uh pass rusher and i don't know if they're getting the same production out of dirt and returning um, I like a lot of players on their team outside of that, uh, but I, I think that's a big loss for them that's really going to hurt. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, this NC State team, I'm going to be completely honest here. I'll be surprised if they win a game in the ACC this season. They have a tough schedule. I, I believe they have Clemson. They have Miami, Wake, you know, UNC. They, they do have a lot of you know tough games on their schedule, and losing McNeil does not help. They do have some good returning receivers, however. They have Amika Mizzi. He's coming back. He's going to be a super senior. Uh, you also have Thayer Thomas as well. You know, both receivers didn't break 1,000 last year, but, you know, this season I think they're going to be good for whoever's under center. Um, the defense last year, though, they surrendered over 400 yards a game and 29 points per game. And that was with McNeil. And without McNeil, that's going to be it's going to be really hard for them to improve in that aspect. So teams can just score on them all day long. I have them three and nine, zero and eight in ACC play. Yeah, I had them at three and nine, one and seven in ACC play. I'm not sure who I had them beating. It might have been Duke, um, but we'll save that for later. Uh, next up, we have Syracuse, who I am I'm kind of high on. They only won one game last season, but. Tommy DeVito, their starting quarterback, was injured for most of the season. 
Um, and they're also losing a lot of their defensive their defensive backs uh, in Andre Sisco and Efeitu Milifondu and Trill Williams to the draft. But they a lot of those players didn't play the majority of snaps last season. But they had Jihad Carter and you know Garrett Williams playing, uh, and they performed rather well. And I think they can step into these roles right away and bring success to this defensive backfield to the point where they could win you know up to five games this season maybe two in ACC play. Uh, yeah, I'm not on I'm, – I'm probably at the same level with uh, Syracuse as you. Um, obviously, the secondary is going to be probably shorthanded because, you know, you lose your top three in Cisco, Malafuanu, and Williams. Uh, DeVito coming back is going to help the offense. It gives them experience under center, you know, someone that can stabilize them. I do have them around five and seven and two and six, and – you know, Cuse is going to be decent as always. I feel like they're going to go back to their winning ways-ish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I think, you know, I was looking at this team, looking at their roster. I was very surprised they have a, a fullback on their team who's like 300 pounds and could play. You know, he, he filled in as an offensive lineman for them last season, which I think is insane. Wow. Yeah, what are your thoughts on that, that Sky? Um, I think being a big boy myself, <laughs> it's always nice to see big boys do big boy things, but <laughs> uh, I really have no opinion on Syracuse at all. I think I think they're kind of synonymous with being decent at basketball, but they're, they're kind of like Duke in the ACC, where Duke's you know, known for being a blue blood, but you never really hear too much about their, their football team. Yeah, because yeah. they stink, but yeah. <laughs> that's one thing. It's <laughs> like a level of stink where they're like just good enough to be irrelevant, if that makes sense. Like, like Kansas is so bad that we're known for being bad. Yeah, back to Kansas. <laughs> it's the only thing I know about college football. <laughs> but, but like they're, excuse me, they're so bad that they're known for being bad. Syracuse and Duke just, they're not that bad, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, I see your point. All right, moving on to our the final team in the uh, ECC Atlantic Division, Wake Forest. What are your thoughts there, Izzy? Uh, Wake Forest, I, I love their offense this year. Sam Hartman's coming back. You know, he was very efficient last year. He completed 63% of his throws. And I feel like the offense can be taken to a next level here. I think they're going to be one of the best in the ACC Obviously, the defense is going gonna, is gonna to lose a lot in Carlos Basham. He's going off to the NFL. Uh, and they don't really have a replacement for him on the roster, unlike NC State, who's replacing uh, Lee McNeil with Corey Durden, as you said at the top of the – when we were talking about them there. But I think their offense, you know, I think they can win them a lot of games, you know, especially if they get into shootouts. I think Wake Forest can outgun a lot of teams. I have them around 6-6, six and 3-5 six, and five in ACC play. I think that's just good enough for a bowl game there. Um, yeah, no, I mean, there's not much to say about Wake Forest. They've got a great offense, but a really bad defense, especially losing Boogie Basham, who is, you know, he was a second-round pick, I believe. Um, and yes. that's – they're going to miss that, certainly. Um, and I think that their their defensive backs are going to be exposed because they don't have someone getting quarterback as efficiently as Carlo Basham was. Um, and I think that they'll be in a lot of shootouts. And I don't know if – their team can necessarily win those shootouts. 
So I, I have him around a six and six record as well, which is enough for a bowl game, but I'm not necessarily high on them per se. Yeah. And I just feel like people are just sleep, sleeping on their offense just a bit. You know, that's, that's just my, my take on it. I, uh, All right. I do know one thing about Wake Forest. <laughs> How do you guys feel like losing Tavon Bowers affected them last year? If at all. Your thoughts? Mm-hmm. I'm not, uh, not hundred percent on that. Um, caught me off guard there, but, um, yeah, I think last year they they were really transitioning like from quarterbacks because they lost Jamie Newman. I think that was really their big issue last year. Not necessarily uh, Bowers, um, but there's definitely they definitely lost some talent there. Yeah, Is he? I agree. Sorry, that, that was <laughs> yeah, that caught, I was trying to find a way caught to me relate. off guard there as well. But I was trying to relate to a team that I barely knew had a football team. So. <laughs> yeah but just just like mac has said you know i feel like you know basham's gonna affect the loss of basham's gonna affect them more absolutely so all right so now we're gonna move on to coastal got miami mac is you want to start oh yeah i can definitely start here um so they're returning I think at this point, he's more than a super senior. I think he was a super senior last year. I think that makes him a super-duper senior. Uh, Derek King, uh, who's going to lead them back, he's coming off of another injury, which is going to be difficult. But they added Charleston Rambo from Oklahoma and then Tyreek Stevenson. Love him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Rambo's a great player. And I think that that is an infusion of talent that you're not going to see among other teams in the Coastal Division here. And I think they're they're definitely, you know, vying for the top here with our second team. Um, but, you know, having DR King return, having stability there, and then adding weapons that are have played college games like Charles Rambo, I think that's big for them. Yeah, um, you. I think you hit it right on the nose there. They have you know tenth year quarterback Derek King coming back in twenty twenty one. I mean, I feel I feel like this guy's been playing college football forever, but he's he's a great player, no doubt about it. And you know he's coming off another injury, but we'll see how he does. Kind of like I do love the addition. senior Carter Stanley. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but I do I do love the addition of Charleston Rambo though he was he was good at Oklahoma you know obviously he was behind all those great receivers that they had but I think he's gonna have a larger role at Miami and I think he's gonna play well especially with a good quarterback like King and then I like Tyreek Stevenson at corner as well I think he's gonna be a great player for them and you know he's gonna have to anchor the defense a bit because they lost a lot on the defensive line you lose. I mean, you lose great NFL talent. You lose Gregory Rousseau. You lose Jalen Phillips. So that's obviously going to hurt you. But and they do have an they do have an early season contest against Alabama out of the gates. So that's going to be very very tough. But I do think they're going to be competing with our next team here, and it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how the Coastal plays out because we all know how the Atlantic's going to play out. So this will be interesting. Yeah, for sure. I do remember hearing about Derek yeah. King last year. I mean, he's no Carter Stanley, but I remember. I like how Sky has managed to bring the Big 12 into this. <laughs> managed to bring in a quarterback that uh, graduated two years ago into this. <laughs> Almost every single team. 
speaking of the Kansas Jayhawks, here's another really good basketball team, North Carolina. But they're actually um, good at football, though. So. They are hey, good at Sam football. Sam Howell they... is nowhere near Carter Stanley. If oh, Carter Stanley yeah. was given <laughs> four <laughs> years of playing time, he'd be the greatest college quarterback of all time. I'm convinced. As you, I feel like this has just turned into the Carter Stanley show. Oh, he yeah. almost took down <laughs> Texas. We're going to have to see about getting Carter Stanley. I mean, anyone can take down Texas, though. Not back then. Not oh. Sam Ellinger's hype Sam's junior year. Yeah, true. Sam's hot. All right. All right, let's go to the other Sam, though, in the Coastal Division. <laughs> Sam Powell. All right, so the Tar Heels, they have a big test for Sam Powell here because they're losing. Oh, yeah. They're, they're two, they're two one-and-two punch at running back, and they're losing Daz Newsom and uh, Deami Brown at wide receiver, and that is a lot of things to lose for a quarterback like Sam Powell. And this is really a proven year for him because he's supposed to be a top-tier NFL talent, but if he can't produce after losing these weapons, or if he's slow to produce after losing these weapons, he is going to fall in the draft. Yeah. Uh, Sam Howell, I mean, he's, he's got it tough this season. You know, no Javante Williams, no Michael Carter, no Daz Newsom, no Deami Brown. So this season, we're really going to see what Sam Howell is made of. Uh, we're going to see if he's the elite NFL talent that we think he is. Um they have, they do have a decently hard schedule. They do have Virginia Tech, which is going to be our next team here. Spoiler for everybody, but and they do have a midseason game against Notre Dame. It's gonna it's gonna be tough for the Tar Heels, but I do have them around the ten and two range here, uh, just like Miami. Um, I think Howell will be okay though. I think I think you know I think the guy's way too talented, you know, just to falter because he loses his top weapons. I think he can make the other guys around him better that are replacing, you know, the NFL talent they had at those positions. But we'll, we'll definitely – it's going to be interesting to see what North Carolina does. And, you know, it's the rare case of a basketball school being good at football. So that's always good. You know, it's not yeah. like Sam Howell is like a Carter Stanley who loses Puka <laughs> Williams and, and Andrew Parchman and Stephon Robinson. Like, he'll definitely be okay. God, I wish I had a quarterback to talk about like that. <laughs> you know, I, I wish. <laughs> You know, speaking of the Jayhawks, though, they had a player who transferred and made some splashes last season to Virginia Tech, Khalil Herbert, losing him to the draft. Baby Herbert, golly. Um, (laughs) So, how do you think Virginia Tech is going to recover from losing players like Khalil Herbert, uh, Christian Darrisaw, the cornerback um, Caleb Farley, absolutely brain farting on that one, and Divine Diablo? How do you think they're going to recover that from that, Izzy? I'll tell you how they're gonna recover from that. They have Jermaine Waller, who's the best corner in the in in the in the division, or probably in the ACC as well. Uh, Virginia Tech, you know, yes, they lost, you know, they lost all that talent, but I do think they're gonna be able to remain in, you know, their eight win nine win range here. Um, they have Braxton Burmeister. Yeah, okay, I said that right. <laughs> he he's he has a full off season. I feel like he's a, there's a lot of potential there. You know, I think you know he's gonna stabilize that QB spot for them. For them, and he also has a Changa Hodge. You know, he's gonna break out. I love him. He's probably underrated as well. Um, you know, so I think I think Virginia Tech is gonna be fine here, honestly. Yeah, um, I completely agree. Uh, there's there's been a lot of you know rumors going around that their tight end is probably the best conference. 
Uh, and but losing uh, Christian Derrissaw is you know an issue, except yeah. for the fact that they've got Luke Canuda, who played right tackle all of last season and played arguably better than Christian Derrissaw did moving into that left tackle spot. And I think that's big for them. Uh, they also have some talent on the defensive line with Amari Barno and uh, transfer from Clemson, uh, Jordan Williams, which will probably mm. rival, in my opinion, rival Clemson's defensive line best in the ACC. I, I could definitely see that, to be honest. I mean, Jordan Williams, you know, I feel like, not Clemson, you know, he, I mean, he still played, but, you know, they, you know, Clemson, you know, they, they have a lot of defensive line talent, but I really feel like he'll get his chance to really, really shine at Virginia Tech. Absolutely. On topic um, of Virginia Tech here, <laughs> cool. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, what, Carter Stanley beat them back then? <laughs> no, that was Boston College, but, <laughs> but I'm going to go out on a limb and say, Kalu Herbert, other than just being creepy as shit, got Les Miles fired. That was the beginning of the end of the greatness that Kansas football was on the cusp of attaining to with Puka Williams, Gardner Johnson, and Khalil Herbert. It's like a one, two, three punch. They, I mean, they had one of the best, I'd say, running back rooms in the country at that point. And Herbert leaves, Puka leaves, and then it was just Gardner Johnson. <laughs> I will say this about Puka, though. I remember his freshman year against Oklahoma. I think he had, like, he had a crazy game. I think he had over 150 yards rushing, a couple touchdowns. He was he was great. Yeah, I mean, and then he beat his girlfriend and was never the same after. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep it. Okay. Um, so, yeah, no, um, going back to Virginia Tech, I think they're very underrated as a whole. And they could probably, you know, rival, um, you know, North Carolina and Miami for that top spot. And they might, you know, they might sneak in there. Honestly, I mean, and plus Miami has a bad loss like every single season. So, you know, oh, for sure. you, never, you never know. I mean, North Carolina last year where, like, they had, like, a thousand rushing yards. So, I mean, they did yeah, get yeah. the burden of having crybaby Cool Herbert on their team off their shoulders. So, <laughs> I think that's just a weight lifted off their back. Yeah. Um, you know, the next team, a big rival of Virginia Tech's, uh, Virginia, the Cavaliers. Uh, what are your thoughts on their roster? Um, Virginia, you know, again, another basketball program that's, you know, decent at football or a little worse. But I do like – they have some good – they have some good talent on defense. Uh, you know, Noah Taylor, Joey Blunt, you know – those guys are playmakers. Like, you know, in they in on any defense, I feel like you need two guys or one guy at least that, you know, can playmake and, you know, get keep you in games. And they have two of them. So I really do think, you know, they'll keep them in a lot of games. Uh the offense though leaves a lot to be desired. Um, you know, there's no they're they are set at QB, um, but the offensive line is a big concern. You know, it's no good to have a good quarterback, but you know, you don't have good offensive line play. And Billy Kemp, another underrated receiver, uh, they don't have any weapons on the outside besides him, honestly. And that's going to be an issue um, because, you know, you need to score points, especially in this division where you have some high-powered offenses and you need to be able to keep up. So Virginia, I'm a little bit low on, to be honest with you. I have them 5-7, and seven, maybe 6-6 six and six and sneak into a bowl game there, but I don't, I don't really see it with them. Yeah, I think that's uh, very fair. They're definitely the worst Virginia team. Um 
And yeah. Noah, Noah Taylor and Joey Blunt are guys that, you know, fly to the ball. Uh, Joey Taylor on as their outside linebackers slash defense ends. And uh, Joey Blunt as their, as their safety. Uh, Joey Blunt, he's, he's kind of that reckless playmaker where he's going to go downhill and hit the guy in front of him. But he's also going to, you know, flip his hips the wrong way and let a deep receiver open in the end zone. Um, so he's kind of, you know, an interesting guy to have back there who definitely make plays for them, but also give up a few too. And, but only really having those two pieces on defense is an issue. And I really, I really I find it hard to put them above five and seven at this, especially with how unproven their offensive line is and the weapons outside of Billy Kent. Yeah. Uh, I completely agree with everything you just said there. So, when we want to Pittsburgh here, our fifth team in the Coastal. All right, so what are your thoughts here, Marcus, on Pitt? All right, so a lot of controversy has surrounded uh, Pitt. They're losing a lot of defensive linemen uh, to the draft, and they lost you know, their safety, and they lost their starting uh, one of their starting cornerbacks in Jason Pinnock. Um, but they also have a really, really like high-powered offense, um, and they've got – one of PFF's oddly favorite quarterbacks, um, for some reason, I, I can't figure it out. I've watched the tape and I can't find anything on Kenny Pickett that really makes him, uh, you know, a game-changing quarterback, um, especially with a name like Pickett as a quarterback. I think, that, I think that's an issue. <laughs> that's a deal-breaker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right there. I'm off the draft board right there. Um, but they definitely have potential. I think they're, they're going to go to a bowl game, probably in that 7-5 to five, uh, Seven, uh, six six area. Yeah, um, I have them about in the same range as well. You know, Pitt always finds their way to a bowl game, and they lose a lot on the defensive line and in the secondary. So let's start with secondary. You lose Demar Hamlin, Paris Ford, and Jason Pinnock. Those guys are going to be extremely tough to replace, and you know, especially in a conference with good quarterbacks, you know, they're not going to be able to cover people. We'll see how the secondary pieces itself together, and then defensive line as well. You lose Patrick Jones. You lose Rashad Weaver. And it combined for 16 and a half sacks and sacks and 27 and a half tackles for loss. Like that's a lot of production to replace. But again, they do have some stability under center. I mean, I he's Kenny Pickett. He isn't bad, but I don't know why Pro Football Focus loves him. But yet again, they do have some questionable grades. Um, <laughs> so they're gonna they're gonna have to lean on the rushing attack attack here. You know they have Vincent Davis and AJ Davis. They're coming back, but they're obviously gonna need more. So Pitt, I have them six and six, seven and five within that range, like you do. So it'll definitely be interesting to see. I'm curious to see how their defense pieces itself together, though, especially with all the talent that they lost. Uh, absolutely. Um, I think that's a very valid point. Um, and then moving on to Georgia Tech. They're kind of in this area where they're transitioning from, you know, their traditional uh, uh, triple option offense to yeah. more of a, a pro style offense. And, you know, that involves two very, I mean, I, I'm sure Sky can speak to this. It requires two very different kinds of offensive linemen. You know, if you're running a triple option yeah. offense, you really want, you know, 260 pound linemen as opposed to a pro style. When we're looking more at the 300 range. Someone tell right. us miles that. <laughs> Well, it's too late for that. He's gone. Running, running an option scheme with a 17-year-old quarterback behind the worst offensive line in college football? Yeah. I know about that. 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, again, this is another basketball program that you know is just not good at football. You know, Jeff Sims, he was turnover prone last year, thirteen picks, and I do like their backfield. I think they're going to be pretty good for them. They have Jameer Gibbs and they have Jordan Mason, but. That'll be no good if Jeff Sims can't, you know, learn how to throw a football correctly. Um, and the defense, the defense gave up almost 40 points a game last season. Like this, this is this is not good at all for Georgia Tech here. Um, I I think I have them like three, nine, four, and eight. I'm I'm not really I don't really see it with this team, but we'll see how the offense, you know, does because that defense is just horrible. Certainly, uh, and they're losing their two starting outside uh, wide receivers and Jalen Camp. I'm absolutely blanking on the other guy's name, but Javen Camp is certainly a guy that they're going to miss on the outside. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and it doesn't help that Sims is, is not the best quarterback in the world. So. All right. Uh, and then our, our very last team, um, we've been preaching about how, you know, there's basketball teams who absolutely blow at football. Um, and, you know, <laughs> this, is, this is the team that really, you know, fits into like the epitome of that uh, at this point they've lost their starting quarterback to the transfer portal they've really got nothing going for them uh izzy what are your thoughts on the duke blue devil duke 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 um i th- i think they're going to be right there with nc state for the for the worst team in the in the acc this team's won seven games in the past two seasons like you know they i really don't see how they're going to turn it around, like you said, lost your quarterback to the transfer portal. So that's just great. Um, the only thing that they do have going for them is Mateo Durant. He's their leading rusher. He's coming back. Most of the old line is coming back. So I guess maybe that's like the one positive for Duke Blue Devil football fans. Um, and honestly, if Duke doesn't improve, I think Cutliff can be gone at the end of the season if they don't show some signs of life. Because seven games in two se- winning seven games in two seasons, like – you shouldn't be able to keep your job after that, especially if they have another bad season. Yeah, um, I, I very much agree with that. There's not a lot of not a lot of hope in Duke's uh, future, but Ed Durant is certainly a solid running back. And you know, this program really hasn't been the same since you know they put Daniel Jones into the NFL draft. Yeah, for sure, it, it's been downhill ever since. You know, the last two teams you guys talked about: Georgia Tech giving up 37 points a game, Duke giving up 38 points a game. At least they didn't give up forty six yeah. points a game like KU last year. So, wait, KU give up forty six points a yep, game? It was KU one hundred and twenty eight out of one hundred and twenty eight. KU out here playing defense like it's the basketball game. <laughs> points four, <laughs> points four <laughs> a game. Fifteen point eight, one hundred and twenty eighth out of one hundred twenty fourth out of one hundred twenty eighth. That's just we were beat by uh, thirty one points a game last year. So while, while it may look bad that those other teams gave up 37 and 38, we almost were beat by the average amount of points as they gave up last year. So Well, you know, that is a very, very fair point. Uh, but, you know, playing in the Big 12, where they don't really, you know, enjoy playing defense all, all yeah, the defense time. defense is not a thing down there. Exactly. Um, but, you know, I think that, you know, your stats here with Kansas are a great preview for either next week or the week <laughs> after where we do – uh, Big 12 uh, or Big 10, depending on whether we want to spell Big 10 as B-I-G-T-E-N or B-I-G-T-1-0, uh, <laughs> where it falls alphabetically. Um, but we could do either Big 12 or Big 10 next week. I think um, we got to do Big 12, I, I though, especially since Guy's been talking about Carter Stanley this whole episode. I warned Matthews <laughs> when he pitched this idea, I know nothing outside of the Big 12 in Kansas. 
So I told him, I was like, I'm going to bring up Kansas every chance that I get during this. And you'll get your chance next week, maybe. <laughs> All right, Scott. We're going to spend 30 minutes so, on Kansas next week. Oh, for sure. So just to, just to finish up this segment, why don't you talk about the top team in the ACC and their starting quarterback? Oh, DJ Unigwele? I mean, That's the one. he's no Carter Stanley. You know, you, you put Carter with those weapons, and he, he's the greatest college quarterback of all time. I mean, we saw what he did against Boston College, hurtling over three guys, really taking them past that Boston College tough, tough run game. That great Boston College defense they had a couple years ago. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Boston College is a really great ACC team. Thank you for mentioning that, Scott. Yeah, D- um, DJ Uniguele <laughs> has big shoes to fill with Carter Stanley. Oh, okay. yes. Trevor Absolutely. Because, because everyone needs to follow in the footsteps of Carter Stanley. <laughs> <laughs> that is every college football quarterback dream. Hey, give, give him four years. Give him one head coach throughout his four years. Dude, he's the greatest college quarterback of all time. And Even better that, than Tim Tebow. No. And that will take and, us on okay, to a, okay. a all right. right. Thanks for coming and, on, Izzy. It was Anytime, guys. It was really yes. Always happy to have you on. Yeah. Hopefully right. we see you next week. Uh, yeah, for, yeah, sure. for sure. Um, thank you for having me on, guys. So on the way out, on our break, it's going to be uh, Shine On, You Crazy Diamonds, Parts 1 through 5. <laughs> Enjoy our 13-minute long break. And we are back. And the wise words of Anthony Jeselnik, Shine On, You Crazy Diamond. That was Shine On, You Crazy Diamonds, Part 1 through 5. <laughs> and wish you were here. Okay, do we want to get right uh, into the, the uh, breakout players? Izzy is yeah, still here with us. Izzy is still here with us. Thank you for uh, returning, Izzy. Um, and we're just going to do some breakout players that we have for next season, and you know why we think we're going to break. They're going to break out, uh, and what points to their breakout. So, who wants to start? Um, you guys can go first. Okay, I'll start. Um, I'll start right here in Baltimore. J.K. Dobbins. I think he's going to have a breakout season. He has the backfield all to himself this year. Mark Ingram's gone. Um, he had, he had a great rookie campaign. You know, he had 805 yards rushing, nine yards, uh, sorry, nine touchdowns, and he almost he averaged almost six yards a carry. So I mean, obviously he had lower volume, but he was still very explosive when he got his touches. And he also only had 134 carries, and that's going to jump up way way higher than it was last season, especially with the run heavy offense the Ravens have. I do think Dobbins hits a thousand yards, and I think he'll be one of the I think he'll be one of the best running backs in football next year. Um, yeah, well, that's very fair. I mean, I think it's a little more congested than you suggest, just based on, you know, Gus Edwards is solid. They got Justice Hill, who's supposed to be really good. But I definitely could see him absolutely breaking out. Uh, I also have a running back on my list of breakout players. Um, Artavis Pierce on the Chicago Bears. He played really well in very minimal touches last season. Uh, and I think the Bears are kind of getting to the point where they realize that David Montgomery is not a good running back. Um, and Tariq Cohen is too small to really run in between the tackles. And that kind of leaves them with Pierce, who is definitely a solid a solid guy. Yeah. How about you, this guy? Uh, my first guy is going to be Jeremy Chin. Safety mm-hmm. out of Carolina. I know he, he had a very good rookie year. And it's going to be hard to break out from the stats that he did put up. I mean, we're talking 89 tackles, third in the league, uh, 41 receptions allowed, eighth in the league. But I believe his interception stats jump up a little bit more. 
And I think his PFF grade is only sitting on a 59. I don't know how, because, I mean, he was electric for a lot of those games. Like, very, very good. He had two forced fumbles, one interception. Um, he had a sack as well. And I think somebody's got to step up in that Carolina defense. Nobody really has since uh, Luke Keekley retired. And I think Jeremy Chin's going to be that guy. If they can keep him, he's I mean, he's going to be a stud. Yeah, um, I think a lot of PFF's issue with, with Chin was his missed tackles. He did not do a great job mm-hmm. wrapping up last season. And I think, you know, with a little bit of work there, I think he could definitely be one of the top, you know, strong safeties in this league. Among DBs, I mean, missed tackles are a common rookie mistake. Like, right. yeah, but even some of the best tacklers out of out of the drafts struggle to tackle in the NFL. So, I mean, personally, I think he'll make that jump and he'll make those improvements and come back with a yeah. stronger sophomore year. Right, but Jeremy Chin is playing in this this uh, hybrid safety linebacker role in the Carolina defense, and it, tackling is very important in the position that he's playing yeah. you know, in the box. Um, and he definitely he needs to work on that. And I think you know working on that a little bit is going to just an element to his game where he's consistent enough to be considered a top off safety. Yeah, I agree. He just has to be able to show that, but. I, I definitely think he will next year, and I think he'll end up being one of the best safeties in the league next year. Yeah, that's entirely possible. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you guys said about Chin. I mean, he was he was very, very good last year, and he probably would have been defensive rookie of the year, you know, if Chase Young didn't do the things that he did. But I think Chin, he definitely he'll, – he'll develop, you know – the sense of not missing tackles and all that stuff. And I think he, he'll really take a step forward here. So I'm with Sky. I definitely agree with what he said. Uh, I do have yeah. to correct you, Izzy. It's Chase carried by Alex Smith Young. But... All right. Uh, <laughs> <Sky. Yes. laughs> That's great. I have all the hot takes you can even today. start the playoff game. I have all the hot takes <laughs> today. I, I think one sign that points to Jeremy Chin really breaking out the season is he's come, he came from a college system where they were playing a lot of you know, two deep safeties, uh, and he's switching to this role where he played mainly in the box. And that's a big transition, especially when it comes to tackling, because you're you're trying to get to the ball carrier much faster and at a point where they're building up their speed. Um, and I think that he definitely has the ability to tackle, but he needs to work on that because that's not something he was really required to do as a deep safety. Yeah, and I mean, he'll – I feel like he'll be able to keep up in the box – I mean, he's lean. He's 6'2", 211. Um, he's full of muscle. So, I mean, I, I think out of, like, all, the entire list that I have for breakouts, he's the most surefire one to me. All right. Who wants to do their next breakout? Uh, I'll go next. Uh, I know Mac has brought up a Bears player, so I'm going to bring up another Bears player. I think Darnell Mooney will have a great season this year. Um, you know, and he kind of came out of nowhere, fifth round pick from Tulane. Um, you know, he was the he became the wide receiver too towards the middle part of the season and towards the end of the season with Allen Robinson there. He had 61 catches, 631 yards, four touchdowns. Um, he he has amazing route running. I mean, the guy is an amazing deep threat. You know, he he can get separation off the line very very well. Um, and, you know, with Robinson drawing, you know, most of the coverage, you know, he, Mooney can, you know, excel in one-on-one opportunities. And, 
he does have. I mean, there's question. There are questions under center. At least to start the season, you have Andy Dalton. But I feel like if Justin Fields, you know, gets his chance, which you know will probably happen around midseason, you know, I think Mooney will be very, very good with Fields, especially with Fields' deep ball ability. But I really do like Mooney this year. I I wouldn't be surprised if he breaks a thousand yards. To be completely honest with you, plays where he gets wide open downfield, right? And the quarterback is. Uh, and I think Mooney can really de- develop into this prototypical deep threat Z-style wide receiver where he's, you know, out wide, but he's off the line to the point where he can use his, his release game to get off the line and get deep. Um, I, he adds value in the slot as well, but I think he can add value uh, outside. And I think that's really something that they need out, like, you know, opposite Allen Robinson. Right. You know, my next guy uh, is... A Colts player, Moelle Cox. Um, mm. Now, if you if you're playing fantasy, um, and this guy is sitting there in the last round, I would pick him up because I am I'm very high on this guy breaking out. On based on a couple of reasons, he had a great season last season, and he was sitting behind two other tight ends. He's now, in my opinion, should be their tight end one. He's a former basketball player from VCU, and now he's go he's going into a scheme. He's, they're keeping Frank Wright, who worked with Carson Wentz in the past. And one thing you, we all know about Carson Wentz is he loves throwing to his tight ends. He's going to be peppering this guy with targets. And, you know, it, Frank Wright knows how to scheme up tight ends to that they're open. And if you look at the stats when Frank Wright was with Carson Wentz in Philly, they, they targeted the tight end way more than any other position. And that was the one year that you could really say that Zach Ertz was the number one tight end of the NFL. And he, he wasn't before that. He wasn't after that. And that was the one season. And I think that there could be a similar impact here with Mo Cox, just based on his pure receiving ability. Yeah, to transition into another target, my next guy is Steven Sims. Washington football team receiver. Um, I know I may be called a homer for this because he he's Kansas great Steven Sims, but I, I genuinely believe like somebody's got to step up next to Scary Terry next year to be a target. And when you have a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick who loves to spread the ball around the field, Steven Sims could end up going from like a from being below replacement level in like a fantasy league to to like a wide receiver three, honestly. Like, he's fast, he has good hands, he's reliable, and he's consistent. Like, Steven Sims, if given the opportunity, could break out this year. Um, yeah, I don't know if he's an outside receiver per se at the, in the NFL. I think he's more of, a, more of a slot guy, and he has a lot of value, you know, after the catch, breaking tackles, you know, keeping guys out of their shoes. I was very high on him going into last season. Yeah. And I think I think there was some injury concerns there, and I think he could definitely you know, break out in his offense, especially because he gets learned from you know Samuel, who who is kind of that same similar. And I mean, part of part of the problem last year was you start with Haskins, and then you have Smith, and then you have Heineke. Like they didn't really have a set guy, and like Smith is a good passer, but other outside of that, you didn't really have. Like, neither of those other two guys were good passers. Like, Heineke kind of impressed us on the run, but he didn't really do anything else besides that. Like, he had that one game, but that was about it. And then Dwayne Haskins, who we obviously know, is 
I mean, the only dumpster fire comparable to him is like Drew Locke. Drew Locke's just <sighs> favored inside the GM office. Is <laughs> he's a big uh, Drew Locke guy, but <laughs> I wouldn't say big Drew Locke guy. Inner but... Bronco fan talking right there. But, but I mean, if 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 Drew Locke was put in that organization, Drew Locke would have been cut around the same time. I mean, Haskins should have been cut a lot sooner. Um, they should have just given it to Alex Week One, but and I, that's not even me being like a Chiefs fan and having having Alex Smith turn the franchise around. It, like Alex Smith, genuinely, when he played, he looked like the Alex Smith of old. He was taking ginormous hits in the pocket behind that pretty bad offensive line and just popping right back up. Like his injury never happened. He wasn't scared in the pocket, which I don't know how you almost die on a table after devastating your leg on a football field and you don't even flinch when a guy runs at you, you know, two years later. Like I think Steven Sims he has more more of a stable quarterback room if they keep Fitzpatrick in there. He he and McLaurin could could have great years. Yeah. Um so I think that's very fair because Steven Sims fits into the same mold as Jakeem Grant, who really succeeded with Ryan Fitzpatrick is a starter yeah. uh, last season for the Miami Dolphins. Um, and I think he could provide similar value to a guy like Grant. Yeah, and I mean, I've always said that um, Ryan Fitzpatrick is one of those guys that can, if you sign him on your like horrible, horrible team, he's going to mess around and win you some games. Like That, that was the problem with uh, two years ago. They signed him and he ended up winning games last year with with Miami, he ended up winning games and then they, they pulled him out and put Tua. But Fitzpatrick is one of those guys where he can take nothing and make it something and and I mean he has much more than nothing. This might be the most talented offense that he's played with in years and that's saying something because it's not really a great offense. Right yeah, Ryan Fitzpatrick is the most confident quarterback you will ever see. Every single game, no matter if he's thrown four picks already or four touchdowns, he will be swinging that ball into the tightest windows possible. And yeah, that's right. how you that's that's how you get this fits magic, fits tragic kind of thing. Because he is always like making these these tight throws. And it's either, you know, an incredible highlight reel pass to a receiver who is barely open, or an incredible highlight reel interception. Yeah, and right. I mean it, it helps to have a quarterback that's, like, extremely, extremely smart. Because, like like I said, they had Alex last year. Alex finished his master's degree in, in four years. Like, you've got Ryan Fitzpatrick this year, who is, I believe, the highest scorer on the Wonder League test in NFL history. I'm pretty sure he got a perfect score. And I know Alex was only, like, three points away from a perfect score. So, I mean, if they can replicate what they did with Alex with, like, a slightly stronger arm of a quarterback, I think they're high scoring. They could be a high scoring offense that matches with that that tightened up defense, and Washington could have a really good chance. I think it'll be hard though for Sims to produce because you know of all the talent that Washington was able to add in the receiver room. They signed Curtis Samuel. They got Deami Brown in the draft. So it, I. I think Sims is still a good player. I think he can have a solid year. A breakout, I'm not really sure because of the guys that are ahead of him at the moment. I'd put him above Brown. I think Curtis Samuel, it all depends on whether Samuel can stay healthy. But well, Deami's a guy who can win on the outside. Yeah. He has, he's got his release game down. 
He's certainly a viable deep threat day one. And Steven Sims is not going to be not going to be going, you know, outside against a corner who's six three with you know thirty three right. inch arms and you know making separation. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Yeah, that's true. exactly right. All right, All right. So, Mathis, you have another breakout player? Or? I do. Um, one of my so I'm a Chargers fan. I'm a diehard Chargers fan. Uh, and this guy, he has been one of the most underrated players on our team. For the past three years, Uchenna Nwosu, uh, he played kind of mm. behind, you know, uh, Melvin Ingram the past couple of years. He's played about 34% of the, uh, the, the defensive snaps the past three seasons. And he's, he's put up good numbers in that role. He's a solid run defender as an edge. He's a, a solid, you know, pass rusher. And I think this is the season he's finally going to go out there and start. And I, I have high hopes for him, and I think he's going to be great because he's going to get a lot of unblocked opportunities with a guy like Joey Bosa, you know, playing more than you know, 12 games without ankle acting up again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I completely agree, you know, especially coming from a Broncos fan. You know, Nwosu, you know, he was very good in his role last season, and, you know, with Ingram gone... I can definitely see him taking a big step forward, especially in that pass rush with Joey Bosa. So, I mean, he had four, four and a half sacks last year. I think that's going to go up. I wouldn't be surprised if he breaks 10, to be honest. But he could definitely be, uh, you know, wrecking ball for this Chargers defense. Uh, for my next breakout player, I have – so I know he's a former MVP. I know he's one of the most popular players in the league. But he was horrible last year. But I think this year he's going to have a completely different season. Cam Newton, I mean, he's got that yeah. upgraded offense in the, with the Patriots. And I kind of classified him instead of like like it, like in the like most improved category. I put him in a breakout because it's been a while since we've seen like real Cam, like Cam that we remember when we were younger. Like it, it's been a while, so I think Cam is going to have a breakout. They they went and added a ton of talent. Uh, for him to throw to and I mean they've still got a decent run game their line still isn't that bad and I mean you've still got Bill Belichick calling plays so I think Cam if they can figure out how to better use him and if he can stay healthy because that was the one thing last year where he said he got COVID and then by the time he was back it seemed like him and the offense were on two different pages and not yeah. really having that great of, of an off season uh, I think Cam's going to take a huge step forward this year and become like sort of cam of the old yeah i think it helps that you know he has all these weapons now he has johnny smith and hunter henry at tight end they signed nelson aguilar and Kendrick Bourne. you know they have a good wide receiver room now and because you know last year's number one target was jacoby myers and that's no slight against jacoby myers but he can't be a wide receiver one let's just be honest here but i think cam i agree with everything you said i think cam you know especially with the full offseason you know get the offense down you know have another year in mcdaniel's system you know, and, you know, with Mac Jones, you know, breathing down his neck, I feel like he's going to be motivated, you know, to have a good year. And, you know, maybe next year, you know, I don't I don't know if he'll be back. It depends on how he plays. But, you know, maybe if he plays well enough, he'll be able to get another contract. So or at we'll least, see how he does. you know, with another team. I think Mac right. is going to play next year no matter what happens with Cam For this sure. But at least with another team, you know, maybe one of these rookies that, that are coming out that they're kind of leaning on doesn't work out. Or, I mean, honestly, even – uh, Jameis, if Jameis doesn't work out down there and they don't feel like going to um, Taysom, not Taysom, 
Ian Book, even if they don't feel like going to right. Ian Book, you can sign Cam to a one, two year deal and have him ball out for you if he if he shows well this year. Right. Right. I, I agree with that completely. Yeah, I think I it's very uh, the thing that's very valid. I mean, I know we all we all grew up watching, you know, this elite Cam Newton. Mm. Uh and he's he's always had talent, but at this point with the wear and tear and you know his his accuracy has never been great, but it feels like it's gotten even worse in the past few years. But because I, of I the think, shoulder surgery. I think last year a lot of people were throwing it on to Cam. I honestly one hundred percent I used to be a Cam hater. I'm a I'm still a huge Patriots hater. I've had kinda of had to get over that because I've transitioned into really liking Cam and I think Last year, he showed that he could still be a great QB in this league. He just didn't have anybody to throw to. I mean, he was making plays on the ground like crazy, but mm-hmm. every time he would turn to the air, like, I can't remember who they played in the middle of the season, but it got down to a really close game, and Cam used his legs to get them all the way into the red zone, and then due to time, he had to turn to to putting it in the air and couldn't get anything done, and and. When I was watching it, I wasn't like, oh, Cam missed those throws. It was like, no, guys couldn't get open, the line couldn't hold, and Cam was forced to have to throw into tight holes that just got batted down. Yeah, yeah. The, the thing that hurt is that he didn't have that, you know, security blanket. Yeah. You know, like he didn't have a guy, you know, if, if the pr- plays broke it down, you know, he didn't have a Devontae Adams, a DeAndre Hopkins, you know. and he, I mean, he still doesn't, but, I mean, he, at least he has some guys that are better than what he had before. Yeah, and I mean, if – we saw Tom not do well in an offense that was slightly better than that the year before. Right. So, I mean, I, I don't get much of the criticism on Cam for, for last year's. I get, like, a couple years before that. But uh, Tom couldn't – like, the year before last year, Tom couldn't do well with a slightly better offense. He couldn't make the playoffs. So, I'm not putting no, too much Tom pressure. Tom made the playoffs. Tom lost in the playoffs, but Tom made the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Sorry. Last year. And the offensive line certainly upgraded since then. Yeah, but Tom had better weapons around him. He had a younger, even by year, younger Julian Edelman, who really, really fell off this year. And like, instead of being that, I think going into the season, they were kind of relying on Julian Edelman to be that safety blanket, and he just couldn't be. He he looked like he was old last year. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Who's your next guy, Macus? Um, next guy I've got is, you know, it's a pretty obvious one, you know, switching to uh, more of a, uh, a spread scheme in Jacksonville. Uh, one guy who's going to really benefit from that is LaVisca Chanel, who had a great rookie year to start off with, uh, but he's just an incredibly dynamic receiver. And he showed that all of last year, but go into a scheme where they're going to they're gonna use more screens, they're going to use more short passes to give him the opportunity to, you know, make plays after the catch. I think that's massive for LaVisca, and I expect him to certainly be in a 1,000-yard receiver. I mean, yeah, Chanel's yeah. going in to a, a team that's certainly upgraded. You know, at quarterback, they have they now have Trevor. At running back, they not only have Robinson, but uh, uh, ETN. I mean, he's, he's going to have to fight for targets for my boy Tim Tebow, but – <laughs> but, oh God! But yeah, I, I could definitely see Chanel jump up. I mean, he only had 58 receptions last year and only five touchdowns, but I think that definitely jumps up. I think I could see him around like the 80 reception mark. For sure. And, you know, 
they have a lot of underrated receivers in, in Jacksonville. You know, you have Chenault, you have Chark, you have Marvin Jones. You know, so Trevor Lawrence is going to have some guys to throw to and some guys to rely on. So yeah, Marvin Jones is was a big addition this past or this off season. Right. I think if Marvin Jones can show kind of what he did in uh, Detroit, but show progression with a team that I would I would argue this offense is so much better than Detroit's has been since Megatron retired. Um, yeah, you could definitely see him making like a huge jump. Yeah, um, and one thing about you know Marvin Jones is he's a he's a great intermediate target. He he one of like the the best things about his game is the way that he. You know, he breaks off his intermediate routes with, um, with, with his, I'm losing the word. I play wide receiver. I should know this. Um, but you know, he, at the, at the stem of his route, he does a great job of, you know, head fakes, you know, all of that to, to get open. And I think that's a very ba- valuable thing to have in a spread scheme, uh, just based on like playing on the outside, he's going to need that. And Trevor is going to need those intermediate targets. Because he's not always going to be able to, you know, throw the check down, throw the screen pass, or throw deep. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Trevor's going to have a lot of pressure on him. He's going to not be playing behind a great O line. He's been playing with a quarterback or a coach that's still trying to learn how to scheme towards an NFL. So I mean, an NFL defense, and Tre- Trevor's definitely in a struggle, but he's going to have guys around him that can pick him up. Absolutely, for sure. Izzy, did you have another breakout guy? Uh, no, I think I had I had all my breakout guys that you know for this season. Um, maybe one more name I could throw out there: DeAndre Swift, uh, yeah. running back for the, for the Lions. They have a great offensive line now. Uh, he's the he's the bell cow there. You know he doesn't have to worry about splitting with Adrian Peterson and Carryon Johnson, who's now in the Eagles. Uh, you know Swift has the backfield all to himself. He's a really dynamic ball carrier. So. It'll be and you know, he has golf under center now, so we'll see how that goes. But I think Swift is going to have another break, another sophomore running back that's going to have a great, great season. Speaking of the Lions, Marcus, I think I know what happened when I said that Kerryon Johnson was a receiver earlier. I think in our notes, I read it as Kenny Galladay. Uh, <laughs> like, all, I read was, all I read was the K-E. And immediately thought Lions, and I was like, Kenny Galladay. <laughs> but yeah, DeAndre Swift, I always put him on my list just because of how much more improved that offensive line is going to be. And like like you said, he's not splitting with it. And he's got Goff, who they're going to they're gonna have Goff throwing a lot less than they had Matthew Stafford throwing. So that's going to open up more carries for, for DeAndre Swift than really any running back or like a running back room has gotten in, in Detroit in a while. Yeah, no, I, I think that's completely fair, and he definitely has like the best offensive line we've seen in Detroit in uh, probably a century. Um, if I'm going to be completely honest with you, uh, yeah, no, I'm very excited to see what DeAndre Swift's going to do for sure. So uh, my next guy is McCole Hardman. I think when you've got a guy like Sammy Watkins leaving, who wasn't like a huge name, but he was our wide receiver too. I say our because I'm a Chiefs fan, but um, there's there's three guys that could potentially step up. And I know Mackis and I were kind of talking when I was trying to decide between him and Byron Pringle, but you've got him, Byron Pringle, and uh, Demarcus Robinson all looking to step into that second role. And then rumors that we might sign D.D. Westbrook. Um, 
but I think Hardman either way is going to have a massively a massive breakout year. Tyreek Hill is having his best season that he's ever had, coming off of you know massive massive games. He's going to attract a lot of attention. Travis Kelsey always attracts a lot of attention. Somehow Travis Kelsey always ends up open. Like if you watch all of his touchdowns last year, somehow he's double covered and then he just ends up standing there wide open in the end zone. But I mean, they're going to take away probably your four best corners or your four best players on the field trying to guard him, guard them. And uh, I think that's going to open up massively for McCall Hardman. I could see it being like a like an A.B. Juju type thing where A.B. was taking like your double or triple teams to try to stop him and that left Juju open. That's when Juju looks so good. I think that's going to be exactly how it is with McCall where those other two guys are going to steal it steal all the attention and it's going to leave McCole Hardman open because we saw it a couple times this year but uh, with Sammy Watkins in and out of the lineup it kind of hampered him from being able to really get going and I think that changes this year um, <clears throat> Michael Hardman is a kicker punt returner um, he's, he's got dynamicism to his game mm-hmm. that he could really benefit from you know being left rather open he can you know make a guys make a couple guys miss um and he's certainly going to benefit from not having coverage focused on him because they have two dynamic weapons uh there already Mm. um he definitely has the potential to break out he could be a breakout star uh, but you know drops are always concerning with him um his hands have not necessarily been the best throughout his career See, that's, uh, that's one thing with, like, where I, I noticed last season he wasn't consistently dropping. You know what I mean? It was like he dropped a couple, and then he wouldn't drop for the rest of the game. And, I mean, he's, come, he's in the wide receiver room that Tyreek Hill grew up in. And Tyreek Hill was exactly like him. Started as a punt returner, kick returner. Didn't have that great of a hands. Couldn't really run routes. He was just really, really fast. And so if he can make the progression moves like Tyreek did – around this time it was about Tyreek's third season that he kind of started to to actually be kind of a breakout guy yeah just about yeah I could see McCall falling in there yeah there's definitely potential there um you know I think the last guy I've got on my list uh you know only five deep uh Darius Phillips cornerback on the Cincinnati Bengals uh, a shorter guy and not not a very fast guy. He was a, a four five two at the combine a couple of years back. Um, but he has certainly uh, produced in limited snaps over the past two seasons. I think he had four picks in twenty nineteen, um, and he did a fairly good job in coverage uh, in in twenty twenty. Uh, and I think losing William Jackson in that that secondary, he's going to be tasked to do uh, a lot more for that defense. Yeah, for sure. I think he's going to step up and become one of the guys that they rely on defensively. All right. Yeah, and I think that's um, all we have for this section. I don't know if that's all we have for today, uh, but thank you for joining us, Izzy. Anytime. Yeah, we hope to see you here again. Yeah. <laughs> we hope to see you here again soon. All right, guys. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Of course. I think that'll just about do us do it for us today. Um, big thank you to all of our listeners Uh, please hop on uh, every Monday we're usually on at 7 this time we were on a little later due to some technological uh, difficulties 
Uh, but we, we definitely love to have you guys here uh, to listen to us uh, and talk about football. And Carter uh, Stanley. And Carter Stanley. Um, <laughs> and shout out to Kansas. Uh, we're probably tomorrow, uh, not tomorrow, uh, next week we'll probably have Izzy back to talk some more college football. Uh, and we'll cover some more NFL stuff. And I think there there's some some rumors about some MLB coming to the coming to the pod. So yes, sir. Uh, um, if you guys haven't check out the Twitter at Fresh Binge, we put it out there today that we were having some tef- technical di- technical difficulties, and then we we're gonna have to start late. So if that ever happens again or anything like that, it'll be posted on there. And it if you turn on the notifications. It'll tell you every time that we go live, and the link is right there in the bio, so it's easy to listen to. Yeah, uh, and I think this is this is the first episode.